Hey guys, we're back with part two of the update on the Danny Masterson rape trial that could see him sentenced to life in prison. My guest is Erin Smith-Levin, a former Scientologist who knows the ins and outs of the situation of the cult of Danny Masterson and of everyone involved. And we'll start today with a look at Tom Cruise's feelings on the case and what he'll be doing to try and distance Scientology from it. Catch up by listening to yesterday's part one one, the previous episode, which goes into detail about what Danny Masterson is alleged to have done. Go support Aaron Smith-Levin, the former Scientologist, by subscribing to his Growing Up in Scientology channel on YouTube. Follow us both on Twitter and support this show if you're enjoying my work on patreon.com slash Gold. And join me tomorrow when my guest will be Michael Shermer, the Skeptic Magazine founder, discussing conspiracies and extreme belief. But now you're still on the edge of the trial of Scientology's life with Aaron Smith-Levin. And we're back talking Danny Masterson, Tom Cruise and Scientology with former Scientologist Aaron Smith-Levin. Aaron, how do you imagine Tom Cruise will be feeling about Danny Masterson's crimes? Oh, I think um, this is a complete disaster in the minds of Tom Cruise and David Miscavige, who really are like two little identical twins. And I do mean little. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Low blow. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, anything that is seen as bringing negative attention, negative PR to Scientology is uh, it's not just a matter of like, oh, no, protect Scientology's reputation. It's literally considered a crime against humanity. It's considered that things that bring bad attention and bad repute to Scientology will keep people from getting into Scientology. And one one thing that's, I think, remarkable here is, you know, Scientology has, has a reputation for being a very secretive uh, operation. And yet the fact is, Scientology wants everyone in the world to become a Scientologist. It, it it's quite ironic that they have they have this reputation for being so secretive. When I was still in Scientology and I would hear people say how secretive Scientology would be, I'd be like, are you out of your mind? We want all of you to walk in the front door tomorrow. How is that secretive, right? And so one thing is, it seems like I'm getting off the topic here, but I'm not, I promise. So one thing, like if you compare what Scientologists believe to other uh, religions and I might bastardize these things because I'm no student of of religions, but like let's just take uh, it's going to be a mistake to use any example. But let's take a religion where they're like, look, if you're saved, you go to heaven. If you're not, you go to hell. What happens happens. We'd like as many people to come to heaven with us as possible, but us getting to heaven doesn't depend on us bringing the rest of you with us. So if we go to heaven, we're good, right? Scientologist belief system requires them to get at least half the people in the world into Scientology. They, they don't have this thing where they're like, hey, you know, when, the, when Jesus comes back, we're going to heaven and you guys are, all, the rest of you guys are screwed. So sucks for you guys. No, Scientologists believe we're all stuck with what we have here. And only by getting half or more of the people in the world into Scientology and up the bridge can we fix planet Earth. So when something like this happens with Danny Masterson and all of a sudden Scientology is getting even worse PR and worse headlines than ever, when I say it's considered a crime against humanity, I mean literally that. They're going, Danny Masterson is literally preventing us from being able to save hundreds of thousands of thetans. And that is such a suppressive act. It's not, it doesn't just come down to what did they do to the women? Scientologists don't give a shit about that. They don't give a shit about one person or 300 people. 
They care about planet Earth, this solar system, this galaxy and the universe. And if Scientology doesn't succeed on planet Earth, then there will be no way to export it to other planets. So literally, anything that Masterson does that prevents Scientology from being able to basically take over Earth is considered not just a crime against humanity, but a crime against all life everywhere. <laughs> I mean, I know it sounds incredible, but that's, that's, how, that's how Miscavige and Cruz would be looking at something like this, and that's how little they would be thinking of Danny Masterson. You fucking piece of shit. You are literally dooming a good portion of mankind from ever going free because now whenever they think of Scientology, they're, they're going to think of your curly-haired fucking rapist ass instead, <laughs> instead of L. Ron Hubbard and David Miscavige and Tom Cruise. And so, uh, yeah. How's but well, we talk about, I mean, on, on my podcast, we often talk about, you know, eyes open and eyes closed with regards to whether it be religious people or, or psychics or whatever it might be. People who are eyes open, they know that they're a fraud, and they're just doing it for the money. People who are eyes closed, they just, you know, they do it because they really believe in the paranormal or spiritual aspects of, of things. So, you know, looking at Tom Cruise, I suppose we can only speculate. Is he, does he believe in the law, the folklore around, around uh, you know, Lord Zenu and the Fetans and all those kinds of things? Or will he also be thinking, will he be maybe in two minds because the other part of his mind's thinking, this might not be good for my movie career? Oh, Tom is a true believer. He doesn't care about his movie career. Um, I, Tom sees himself as simply a conduit to getting as many people into Scientology as possible. And if he can't do that by going on the Today Show and yelling at Matt Lauer, um, if, that, if, that, if that approach doesn't work, he's happy to do, do it the silent way and just lead by example of being a, you know, the most successful person in his industry, depending on how you want to define that. Um, I guarantee you, Tom just sees himself as a conduit to get as many people into Scientology as possible, and not just to make a quick buck, to save planet Earth. When you see Tom in his interviews and you see how righteous and confident and certain he is, this is where that righteousness and certainty comes from. He's saving not just mankind. He's helping save life everywhere, and you're just too stupid to know that that sounded like him when you said that <laughs> when you yeah, said yeah, you're yeah. too stupid to know that that sounded like tom cruise you just don't understand and you should you should understand <laughs> you should do your research you have a responsibility oh man do you think is that were you suggesting then that's why he doesn't do those interviews i hardly heard him talk about scientology in 20 years it was that the matt lauer and that guy overton the australian guy as well and they were just i guess they were disasters yeah. And, and um, you know, the way that Tom and Dave would justify that is that it's just too overt. You know, the society is just too downscale that you can't come at them in a full frontal assault like that. It just opens yourself up to attacks by the psychs who Scientologists believe control, control the press. And, uh, and the pharmaceutical companies and the far and the pharmaceutical companies control the press through their advertising dollars and so the best way to do it is um, uh, be more low-key about it 100% it's a strategy it's not that Tom decided to give up trying to get people into Scientology he just decided that way didn't work as well um, and it was more of an impediment than it was um, a, a useful device. And, and absolutely, he's a true believer. Now, I, I think in Miscavige's own way, he's also a true believer, even though he's lying about OT9 and 10, as I just said in, in, on the first part of our interview here. See, that's the thing. 
that's the hard thing to put together, isn't it? Is he? I'll tell you. Go on. I'll tell yeah. you. So Miscavige, here's how you know Miscavige is a true believer, is he definitely, he, he believed that L. Ron Hubbard was coming back. Now, you don't believe that L. Ron Hubbard was coming back unless you believe in, in everything else Scientology has to say. And in Mike Rinder's book, A Billion Years, he talks about this very specifically that, um, you know, L. L. Ron Hubbard was supposed to come back about 21 years after his death. And around that time, Miscavige started to get very, very nervous that he had not accomplished some of the things that Hubbard expected him to accomplish or whoever to accomplish um, after Hubbard passed away. And there were things Miscavige started to do. His behavior noticeably changed when he started to worry about uh, Hubbard's going to be coming back soon. Okay, so here's what I think. Miscavige is sitting there going, he knows that Hubbard was sort of a, a master marketer. And I think that's probably fair to say. You could say master liar, fib teller, uh, you know, bullshitter, yarn spinner, but let's just call that marketing. <laughs> And he, like even, you know, right, he, he, he couldn't tell you the truth without lying about it. He couldn't tell you about something that really happened without making it sound even more incredible than it already was, right? Okay, I think Miscavige uh, believes that Hubbard really did intend on finishing all these OT levels, but he just died before he could. I think Miscavige is sitting there going, God damn it, I've got to clean up Hubbard's mess. I'm always cleaning up Hubbard's mess. I had to resolve the lawsuits. I had to resolve the IRS. I had to resolve, you know, the Mary Sue Hubbard going to prison. I had, I'm always having to clean up after Hubbard. And so I believe that Miscavige does believe in Scientology. He just doesn't have the same reverence for Hubbard that your average Scientologist has because your average Scientologist has been fed all the bullshit about Hubbard, but Miscavige knows much more of the truth about Hubbard's real life and all that kind of stuff. So it's like, he's a true believer. He's just, he uses Hubbard to prop up as like this big effigy to be worshiped, but he doesn't worship Hubbard. He doesn't worship Hubbard. You know what I'm saying? But he's, but he still believes in the tech, even though I could probably give you a few examples that would cause people to question, well, if he really believes in the tech, why would he do this? Or why would he do that? That's fine. It's never going to be a completely clear picture. It's just that, um, his behavior does indicate that he he does believe in the fundamental structure of this thing. He just thinks that it's on him to fix it and perfect it. You see what I'm right, saying? Right, right. The arrogance of the man. I guess it's that <laughs> it's that double think thing. I think you know you know I did this uh, documentary for the BBC where I went out and exposed an exorcist for uh, his his work and what he was doing with sort of the women he was exercising. Um, and I remember really just thinking about him for months afterwards. It's like, does he really believe in his powers to to fight devils and demons and stuff? Or, or if he if he really believed that, why would he be all the things he happens to believe are ways to get money out of people through really easy, silly means like selling them olive oil and stuff like that. And I've come to the conclusion now, and I'm not sure about it, that he sort of believes both. He sort of both believes in the God's stuff and the, the exercising stuff and all that, you know, he's fighting devils, but there's another part of his mind that knows it's not true and he's just trying to get as much money from people as possible. And I, I wonder if that's going on in Miss Cavage's mind. Yeah, I think... Did you did you finish reading a billion years? By the way, I'm near the end. I'm such a slow reader, and I keep having to stop it to read another one for one of my episodes. But I'm about sixty, seventy percent in at the moment. Have you gotten to the part where Miscavige brought some Sea Org members, you know, out of a building to some place on the international base, and had them hold uh, a metal rod that basically had been grounded into the earth, 
And this was supposed to be a way to basically get rid of, I might be butchering this a little bit, but to get rid of your body thetans to sort of calm yourself down and essentially channel body thetans out of your body and, and into the earth, you know, due to some difference in electrical potential or whatever. Have you gotten to that part? No, not yet. Okay. <laughs> but go on. That is, well, that's a perfect example where you go, nobody would do that unless they believed the bullshit LRH had said about body thetans, thetans in general, what, what you're trying to accomplish with auditing on the upper OT levels. Do you see, like, nobody made David Miscavige do that. He thought he was brilliant by showing everyone what he had come up with. That's an example that shows that he believes. So is he also uh, uh, dishonestly separating Scientologists from their money by saying, we have OT9 and 10 ready for you? Yeah. Is that just blatant fraud and lies? Yeah, it is. So the, it becomes more of a study in how he can be such a pathological liar while also believing in what he's doing you know to some degree it's probably the ends justifies the means i mean kind of like you know hubbard hubbard i think he wanted people to buy dianetics and i believe that hubbard thought dianetics was useful and helpful and workable but yet in order to sell dianetics he promised a bunch of ridiculous things that he had never accomplished with Dianetics, no one else had ever accomplished with Dianetics, you could never possibly accomplish Dianetics. And I believe he justified it by going, hey, if I can get people to adopt this thing by promising them the sun, moon, and stars, but all they get is this, I've still been helpful to people in general. It's just always, it always comes down to the ends justifies the means. So, but that's why I think even Hubbard was, um, I guess we were saying eyes, eyes wide shut. Because uh, even by the end of Hubbard's life, and again, if you, it'll get to this part in the book, even at the end of Hubbard's life, he was driving himself crazy, uh, still trying to get rid of his body thetans. Well, that means Hubbard believed his own bullshit. He wasn't secretly laughing behind the closed door at all the stupid shit he got Scientologists to believe. He believed it. Well, isn't that incredible, the way the mind works? It, it is incredible. We like to always go, what a fraud, what a fraud. And I, having met a lot of these people myself and having heard you know stories like yours just now, you go, no, they're not frauds. They're really not. They believe it themselves. Do you imagine, Aaron, that David Miscavige would be consulting Tom Cruise about this? I know he's very high up, Tom Cruise, but then is he involved in these kinds of political discussions? Say that one more time. Someone tried to call me while you asked that question and I missed part of it. I said, no, I didn't say. <laughs> I said, um, do you imagine that uh, Tom, Tom Cruise and David Miscavige would be holding meetings together or would Cruise just not even be being consulted at this point? What would be going on? Miscavige would absolutely be being kept up to date uh, in real time by attorneys. Again, someone tried to call me back while you were. Uh, oh, so, <laughs> but Cruise, that- Cruise. Oh, no, I don't think Miscavige is talking to Cruz about any of this. Uh, I don't think Miscavige seeks Cruz's counsel on anything. You know, it's really Tom Cruise who looks up to David Miscavige, not the other way around. Wow. Imagine that, having Tom Cruise looking up to you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, even though it's David Miscavige who literally has to look up to Tom Cruise because he's about half a head shorter. Wow. As well. There's a lot of wows here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, Miscavige doesn't seek Cruz's counsel on, on legal issues at all. No, he to Cruz wouldn't be involved in any of this other than maybe Cruz would call Tom up and be like this mother effing cock dick, you know, suck like <laughs> they, they have very foul, foul mouths. Um, 
you know, like like when Battlefield Earth came out and it was so bad, it uh, you know, Tom called Dave and was like, "What is the deal with this asshole Travolta and this horrible movie?" Mark Headley tells that story. It's very funny. Um, so you know, may, maybe Tom would be commiserating with Dave about what a, a piece of shit Masterson is, but Dave wouldn't honestly wouldn't want to expose Tom to any more of that information than would be absolutely necessary because it, it still does very much implicate. Sea Org members in Los Angeles who Tom Cruise knows. Tom Cruise knows Julian Schwartz, who is the ethics officer that was involved in threatening these victims. Tom Cruise knows Julian Schwartz. So Julian Schwartz has been in this year. I've known Julian Schwartz since I was 13 years old. How is Dave supposed to explain to Tom how Julian is uh, creating all of these problems? Now, in some respects, it's very easy. Julian was following Scientology policy. But how is Dave supposed to explain how Julian and some of the other people failed to prevent all of this from getting to the point that it's at now? That's the failure. The failure isn't what happened before. The failure is that it's now in court. That's what Miscavige would consider the failure. And that's what Tom would consider the failure. But Miscavige really would like to keep this kind of stuff off of Tom's plate as much as possible. I suppose if there's one word to sign up to, to sum up the Scientology ethic, do you think it would be ruthless? Oh, ethics for sure. Yeah. Unreasonable. Tom, Tom used the word unreasonable. Just unreasonable. <laughs> you know, unreasonable in Scientology is considered a positive word. It's been redefined in Scientology. It means uh, not accepting excuses. Reasonable is, is actually a derogatory word. You're being reasonable. You're just accepting excuses why things can't be done. You have to be unreasonable, which is kind of a synonym for ruthless. Ruthless and unreasonable. <laughs> hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts, and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on what could go right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. I think I've asked you this before, but wouldn't it have just been better for the whole Scientology brand and everything if they, when they first heard about this, they went straight to the police? And I, I guess you were saying before the reason is because they like to handle these things internally. But if they're so worried about, oh, why has it gotten to this point? Why, you know, because it looks so bad for them now. Couldn't they have just gone straight in and gone, hey, we've got him, pull him by his curly hair and go, he did this bad stuff. He doesn't represent us. Get him. Yeah, it's just that it literally is against what Scientologists believe at a philosophical level, not at an administrative justice level. Like, like the, you know, the, the court, the testimony in court is going to focus on the administrative rules regarding not going to the police. But those rules um, 
also have a philosophical basis to Scientologists. It would never occur. Would it have been easier? Yes. In retrospect, it would have been much easier, but it literally would have been not applying Scientology. Like it, it literally would have been not applying Scientology if they said, stop the presses, turn this guy into the authorities. It's literally not possible to believe in Scientology and to think that was the correct course of action. It's remarkable to consider. Would you be seen as a suppressive, a suppressive person? Oh, for sure. For sure. Because you go, wait, wait. You don't want us to use standard Scientology to fix the situation? What? You literally, were you sent here by the CIA? Are you a plant? Are you working for the FBI? You know? <laughs> but I'd have, said, I'd have said no if I were a Scientologist. No, but I can see how this is going to play out. And in 20 years' time, we're going to be in court over this, and it's going to be much worse for everyone. Yeah. Well, you would be brought up on charges of high crimes of fostering mutiny and uh, preventing people from applying, keeping Scientology working points one through 10. Like, seriously. <laughs> I mean, it's remarkable. It's remarkable. They have an incredible system to control, control thoughts and behavior. I mean, much more so than the other religions, like mainstream religions that we were talking about. We're talking about what really makes it any different. Uh, I don't know. What... Uh, what what levers what, what what methods of manipulation does your local uh, cardinal I, I don't know how these structures work have to enforce uh, behavior upon a member I don't know but it doesn't seem to me like they have the same tools to manipulate thought and behavior that exist in Scientology I wish I was a bit more of an expert on the world's major religions so I could do a better job drawing comparisons and stuff but um, it just seems to me that Scientology has sort of perfected these tools of manipulating thought and emotion and behavior. Well, that's why, you know, that cult Nixium, which which didn't have the same uh, dogma, the religious dogma, but did use the it used a lot of psychology from Scientology and it was so effective and they ended up, you know, it was the same thing of, you know, get through this level and that level and keep paying until you get to the end and then we'll reveal the big secrets to you. And whereas the secrets in Scientology are Lord Zeno and all that stuff and Thetans and stuff, in, um, in Nixium it was that you now have to engage in, you know, sexual relationships with um, Keith Ranieri and uh, I, I think you know of Alison Mack, the actress from Smallville. But even that, uh, even that pursuit of celebrity was the same as Scientology. They really sort of copied it, but didn't work out too well because the guy's I think in prison for the rest of his life now. Keith Ranieri. Yeah, is there some sort of an appeal going on on that? I just see some things on Twitter every now and then. Um, it it looks like yeah, you know, Mike keeps telling me I've got to watch the Nexium stuff. I have never taken the time to watch any of the programs on Nexium, but I think um, I'm constantly hearing about how so much of that was actually patterned on what had been effective in Scientology for manipulating thought and behavior. And I I intend to watch everything that's out there on it and do like a, a series of videos, com really comparing. Apples to apples, Nexium and Scientology, just what are the similarities and the differences? But I just haven't taken the time I've been meaning to. That would be brilliant, man. I've got a former episode, if you want to do some research, with Kelly Thiel, who was in Nexium, and she talks about all the kinds of things they did to her, and it does sound very, very similar to Scientology. The thing, the, they also had this thing called um, Collateral, which was before moving on to the next level, which was called DOS, um, you you had to give collateral. And I think it ended up being monthly collateral, which meant you had to tell secrets about your family, like, oh, my husband cheated on this kind of test in his work, or or I've been cheating on my family, or whatever it might be. And you had to give stuff every month before learning what would happen in DOS. And then when you were in this sexual thing, you couldn't say no, because then all of your family secrets would be revealed. 
Really? Yeah. Wow. Pretty mad. Pretty mad. But um, yeah, going back to Masterson, he was freed on a $3 million bail at one point. Would that have been Scientology that, you know, I don't know if he'd have that kind of money, would he? Yeah. He's got a bunch of property. And also, I mean, he was on, I don't remember how long that 70s show went for, but uh, it was years and years. And then he had the the Netflix money. And then his family has money. That's the other thing to consider. Uh, like every member of his family has money. So uh, and in order to be freed on $3 million bond, don't you only have to put up 10% anyway? Don't you only have to put up 300000 Oh, I have no idea. That, that's really interesting. I'm pretty sure. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure. Why do they do things like that? Said everything in America. I've just been in America. Like <laughs> the price isn't the price. It's like, oh, now you add taxes, and then there's like a twenty percent tip, and it's like the bail to get out of prison. No, it's not exactly what you think it is. It's a different number. It's confusing, man. Well, the bail, uh, the bond is three million, but you only have to give the bail bonds ten percent of that, and they put up the rest. That's why they come and hunt your ass. That's why they hunt your ass down when you don't show because they they're on the hook. You're you're basically <gasps> taking out an insurance policy. Wow. That's why we have heroes like Dog the Bounty Hunter. Speaking of which, would you watch Dog the Bounty Hunter special David Miscavige edition? <laughs> yeah, of course I would. Yeah. What would he go down and arrest David Miscavige? Yeah, he, well, he's got to find him. He's got to find him first. Does no one know where he is? <laughs> um, well, he's here in Clearwater oftentimes. That, that's a whole other subject. That's a whole other subject. But um, oh, yeah. So he was. So you said $3 million bond. Yeah, they can come up with that. Even if it was the full $3 million, they'd be able to come up with that. They as in the masters. Okay, so it wouldn't yeah. have been Scientology probably putting that money up. It wouldn't have been Scientology putting that money up. And you see the Baldwins are even connected. Do you see Billy Baldwin was in court on Masterson's behalf this week? You want to talk about being on the wrong side of history. So Billy Baldwin is married to Danny Masterson's wife's <gasps> sister. <laughs> oh, it's incestuous Hollywood, isn't it? I said on Twitter the other day, Alec Baldwin is uh, Danny Masterson's brother-in-law. And if you ask me, that's still an accurate statement. But I think legally speaking... Billy Baldwin is the brother-in-law. Alec doesn't legally count. But either way, that's one hell of an awkward Thanksgiving dinner table. Oh, my God. You got a yeah. murder, murder and a rapist right at the same table. <laughs> Jeez. I, no, no, but I, I bet they do laugh about it. I, I bet they do. Do you know what I mean? You, you, you'd you be sitting there, and it would be the only way to break the ice. But, I, I mean, I'd say that the Alec Baldwin thing is not quite on the same level. I mean, you know, who knows? It doesn't sound like that was deliberate, the shooting at the uh, the film or anything. No, I'm I'm more teasing him than anything yeah. else. But honestly, if you're if you if if your wife, like B Billy Baldwin, is so far removed from this thing, the fact that he would show up in court seems like such a stupid thing to do. Is uh, it like, just a character profile then? Just oh, he's a great guy. He wouldn't have done that. He wasn't even there to testify. He's just there in the front row watching the damn thing. Just supporting. Yeah. Man. It's like of all really... the people to come out and support, maybe you just sit this one out. Maybe you just sit this one out. It's not like these aren't like far-fetched accusations here. Like maybe just don't show your face. Like you're, you're not really adding anything. Is he a Scientologist, Billy Baldwin? Not to the best of my knowledge. Could be. My all of this... Um spell the death of Scientology. I know their tax-exempt status relies on not being linked to criminal stuff. Yeah, well, technically, they're not charged in anything. You know, well, not technically. Like, they're not charged in anything in this case. But they could be later on. Uh, they really could be charged with obstruction in this case. Now, will they? What are the chances? I don't know. I don't know everything that goes into making those decisions. Uh, but I know it's something Scientology is very worried about. And uh, yeah. I have my money on other different types of criminal charges will be 
what ends up where Scientology sees felony convictions. I think it's going to be more along the financial fraud, credit card fraud, bank loan fraud. Um, you know, I think I think there's some things in that arena that could rise to the level of of RICO. Um, I think Scientology needs to worry much more about the financial side of things than they do about uh, you know witness tampering. That's just my opinion. Uh, but you know, if if the if the district attorney decided to prosecute. Scientology for obstructing justice in this case, and that, and then was able to get a conviction on that. Yes, that would anything that opens Scientology up to having its tax exempt status reviewed will almost certainly result in the status being revoked, in my opinion. And that is because I could make an analogy here. I don't want to get too far off, off topic, but you know, the whole Roe versus Wade thing in the US recently was overturned, right? And every time a Supreme Court justice has been interviewed for the last, I don't know, has it been 40 years since the original Roe versus Wade decision, the justices are asked whether they had any intention of allowing this thing to be reviewed, right? And one of the reasons they were always asked is because the original decision was always understood to be somewhat on some shaky ground, you know, depending on, it wasn't black and white. And since it's not black and white, it was always subject to being revisited. Scientology's tax exemption is the exact same thing. The U.S. Supreme Court has already ruled that donations to Scientology are not tax deductible, and they never reversed themselves on that. When the IRS gave Scientology its tax exemption, it was in direct contravention of a U.S. Supreme Court ruling. And I, that's just one example of why, as soon as there's a good justification to review this thing, there's a very good reason to believe it will be overturned. And so anyway, the sooner we can get felony chart, felony convictions on Scientology, the sooner we get to explore all those possibilities. Um, and so that's why, that's why Scientology does have a lot to be concerned about, because this obstruction thing in the Masterson case is very real. It's very real. It's the weirdest thing, the tax exemption, because my understanding from, again, Mike Winder's book is that uh, there was no real grounds to give it to Scientology, particularly because the IRS were aware that uh, a lot of the, the folklore sort of posed as a, as a front for the, um, the well, what almost seems like multi-level marketing in the Sea Org and the way they treat people and all that kind of thing. So IRS were not willing to give that kind of uh, religion tax exempt status. But that, that Scientology sort of did their, well, not fair game gaming, but their kind of aggressive tactics is such a point on various IRS members that, and one of them I think was close to retiring and he was like, oh, I can't be bothered. That's, that's my impression of it. And he just went, oh, screw it. Here you go. Here's the tax, which seems insane, right? I know, but it was fair. It was fair gaming. I mean, I think they filed about 2000 individual lawsuits against individual IRS agents oh. at, as people, as people, not as representatives of the IRS. Because uh, at that point, they had nothing to lose. It was either expend all of their resources trying to bring the IRS to its knees, or, or Scientology actually quite literally would have ceased uh, to exist as an entity. They, their tax bill was greater than the assets that they had on hand. Is, is there any other example of anything like that that's brought the IRS to its knees like, like that? That's mad. It is mad. And that's why I'm saying there is very good reason to believe uh, so, so I mentioned the fact that the Supreme Court had already made this ruling and the IRS decision was in contravention of that. You also have on top of it that it can be legally proven that the IRS was to a degree coerced into doing this. It's coercion. It's, you know, it's blackmail, whatever. And I just think uh, the tax exemption is on thin 
ICE as soon as there's a justification to review it. Now, look, it still requires a commissioner and whatever who's willing to also experience an awful lot of fair gaming from Scientology. Because if their survival depended on it the first time, uh, the same holds true for the redo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and does their, does their survival depend on it? Presumably, I mean, the money coming in, the amount they'd have to pay in taxes. I, I doubt any revocation would be retroactive. But remember, the only reason Scientology is able to get such large donations from its members is because it's tax deductible. If you take away the tax deduction, not only have you now increased their operating expenses like through taxes, property taxes and income taxes and everything, but you've removed the incentive that Scientologists have to make giant contributions. Like if you want to go to Scientology and just pay for auditing and pay for courses, it's almost impossible to spend more than a million dollars on that. Almost impossible to spend more than a million dollars buying all the auditing and courses that there are. Okay. But if you now, and there's no reason to buy, there's no reason to give Scientology any more money than is required to buy all of the auditing and training that they have to sell. Unless Scientology is tax exempt. Now you can just give them tons of money for nothing, which didn't used to be a thing. Like that didn't used to be something Scientologists did. They gave Scientology money in exchange for auditing and training. Now Scientologists give Scientology tons and tons of money just for nothing in return. And if you remove their tax exemption, you remove the incentive to do that. Do you see what I mean? So like, you know, I talked on my channel earlier this week about a guy who gave, who's given Scientology $50 million just for their real estate projects, just for the real estate projects. Well, if Scientology's tax exempt, he's not giving them $50 million for the real estate projects. <laughs> yeah, because then what, 25 million goes to the IRS. Right. It's just ridiculous. So yeah, I do believe, um, depending on how you define it, that taking away their tax exempt status will be, uh, the day that it happens won't be the end for Scientology. It will be the beginning of the last chapter of Scientology. That's how I think about it. As an ex-Scientologist, let's say the day that it does and if it does, how, how, how does that day feel to you? You know, uh, I guess there's a certain amount of satisfaction that maybe I feel like I contributed to it in some small way. Uh, as far as the world at large, it doesn't really have any impact at all. So it's not like I feel like it's some giant victory. I, I won't feel like I will have saved the world from something. There's only 30,000 Scientologists in the entire world. There's only 150 churches of Scientology in the entire world world yeah don't underplay it aaron <laughs> everyone's excited for this huge world event <laughs> it'll be amazing um maybe tom cruise will go back to just being not a psycho who knows <laughs> oh, imagine how he'd turn out yeah like scientology's gone what we'll get we'll get tom cruise back what does tom cruise do the next day i suppose he joins nixium <laughs> uh, oh, maybe he starts man. his own group tom cruise starts the the second independent church of scientology <laughs> Yeah, well, he's probably got enough money to keep, or at least start something like that or keep it going. So maybe he would. Yeah, but that's why I say the beginning of the last chapter, because Scientology has an awful lot of money in, in reserves. Um, you know, it'll just be the beginning of the last chapter. Because uh, from, from, from the early 90s to now, the number of Scientologists in the world has been declining, but the amount of money they have has been growing. If you take away the tax exemption, well, now you've created a downward direction for all of their benchmarks. Now their membership is declining and their money's declining. Whether it takes 10 years or a thousand years for you know, you know that balance to hit zero, 
to me is almost irrelevant. The fact that that will be the point of no return is sort of what I feel is the victory. Yeah. Did you, um, have you, I mean, what happens in the next few weeks? What's the timeline? When did you know if he, I mean, presumably he takes the stand at some point, Danny Masterson, this is in the trial for the attacks on women. I do not think he will take the stand. Yeah. The judge actually specifically told him that he has the right to take the stand regardless of what his lawyers tell him. But there is no circumstance that I can envision where him taking the stand is helpful to him. I mean, if he were innocent, I would say otherwise. And I, a lot of people get on my case for acting like I already know he's guilty. In the eyes of the law, I understand he's innocent until proven guilty. When you are familiar with the things that have occurred, you don't have to pretend like you don't know what you know. <laughs> so the fact that I know Danny did these things, the fact that I know the extent to which Scientology has tried to silence and threaten and everything these victims, I just, look, if he takes the stand, he's an absolute psychopath. And, and that was your impression of him, wasn't it? You, you spoke of him laughing and things. Uh, finding this, I remember last time you spoke about that, right? Yeah, it, it's true. It's true. But I feel like when his fate is on the line, I think he's going to listen to his attorneys. I think he's going to listen to his attorneys. Yeah. What, what was that, just to reiterate? I mean, I, I think you were saying he was, he was just laughing about all of this. He just has, he, at no point in any of um, his Scientology handlings, did he actually show remorse. Um, in person, he wrote some letter that was—it was a remorseful letter. But when it came to actually having to uh, confront the victims in person and show some remorse, he just couldn't couldn't stop himself from making jokes and making light of it all and everything. So you know, there's no doubt that he is a psycho. But if he were to actually ignore his attorney's advice and take the stand against all of their advice, uh, then I guess he'd be. Um, Scientology version, new and improved Psycho OT15. Did you hear about his um, DJ name? Yeah, yeah. DJ Donkey Punch, which I didn't know what that referred to, but it's apparently when you are, you know, again, I'm, I'm being careful or mindful of the words I use, lest YouTube demonetize or whatever. Um, it's a, a position you take from behind somebody and then you punch them in the back of the head so, so that they sort of squeeze up. Um, it's the best way I can sort of put it. So this gives us a, a sort of impression of, of the mind of this. That was his public DJ name. Yeah. Yes. And I think the lawyer, uh, the judge has even ruled that they're not allowed to admit that into this case as, as uh, any sort of evidence for anything. But yeah. And then I saw a clip last night. I didn't realize this. In the movie Face Off with John Travolta and Nicolas Cage, Danny Masterson has a role in the movie. Have you seen this clip? No. So in the movie, Masterson assaults John Travolta's daughter in the car as they're pulling up to the house after a date. Oh, do you think he even knew the cameras were rolling? <laughs> <laughs> oh, bloody hell. Yeah. Crazy. Hey, what yeah. happens? Do you, do, you know, do we know yet? I think we've spoken about decades, what, what he might go, you know, the amount of time he might go down for. It's 45 to life. It's 45 to life. Um, that is, I've sort of gone back on my public, back and forth on my statements on this because I keep getting different information. He may have to be found guilty on uh, two of the charges in order to face 45 to life. Um, I, 
I'm getting conflicting information on this. I wish. Have you spoken to any attorneys specifically on the sentencing guidelines? No, no. And I was going to ask you because, like I say, with the money and the bail, it's nothing's ever what it. Especially with prison sentences, they'll say like life, and it's like, oh, nobody was out in six months on good behavior or something. You know, I never quite know. Oh, that's that's a great point. Even if you're sentenced to life, it doesn't mean there's no possibility of parole. That would be an additional thing. Life without the possibility of parole. I think if he gets life, it's still with the possibility of parole. But I mean, hell, forty-five years. I mean, the guy's already 45 so 45 years um is potentially a life sentence depending on uh good behavior or, or not good behavior oh my words well i mean if, if if this is what he's done and he's proven guilty then then good get get this guy off the street because it would if proven true this guy's a total menace yeah absolutely should we go to um maybe do some q a for a bit how do you feel about that aaron yeah let's do it uh, in terms of the first Q&A question, it was a bit ago, and I just saw it, which made me think we should do a Q&A. It's from Melissa Napersky. What would happen if someone said they are L. Ron Hubbard reincarnated? Would Tom Cruise believe since he's so gung-ho? No, people actually say that. Uh, you'd be surprised how often people in their auditing say that they were L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. It's like everyone in their past life is Napoleon or something as well. When exactly. they do like a party, turn up as your past self. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's something that would, it would be noted in the person's folder that they were um, kind of unstable and, um, and not really running their auditing correctly, that their past life recalls were um, not correct. And they would sort of be put under the mi microscope a little bit before being allowed to progress onto any further uh, auditing levels. You know, ironically, for uh, how much how much publicity Scientology gets about believing in aliens, if a Scientologist claims to have seen aliens or spoken to aliens or anything like this, they are considered absolutely batshit crazy. And notes yeah. are made notes are made in their auditing folders that these this person is unstable and um, should not be allowed to progress up to further auditing levels. Isn't that weird? Uh. Well, that's what I was saying before about the cognitive dissonance. It's like they sort of believe it's like it's a tribal thing. Like we're supposed to believe and say the right things. But deep down, I think that's why a lot of religious people, when they're on their deathbed, are still very scared. If they 100% believed in a heaven and that kind of thing, then I think they wouldn't. There's no reason to be scared. But there's always got going to be that doubt. That's a good point. Mm, so let's look at the uh, questions. Uh, we've got Florissa Fenix. How did the victims of Danny Masterson, again, just in case you're wondering, that's the guy from that 70s show with the curly hair and glasses. How did the victims find each other? Well, first of all, they're all Scientologists. Um, it's sort of one that they didn't find each other sooner. You know, the answer to that question has been explained recently at the Underground Bunker blog. And one of the reasons I have a hard time remembering the details is because the story when it gets relayed is not relayed using their actual names. It's relayed using Jane Doe and victim, you know, victim number this or Jane Doe number that. So it's hard for me to remember who it is that had dinner with who when. Do you know what I mean? Um but but it, they found out through each other organically, like friends, like a friend who didn't know Victim A had been attacked, told them about something they heard about victim B. Like it happened organically like that, you know, or um, victim A. And this is theoretical because I'm not meaning to use the actual numbers or the letters correctly. You know, victim A is at dinner with someone and Danny Masterson comes up in the subject in the course of just the conversation. And the person gets upset and starts crying and says that Danny attacked them. 
Like this is how people found out about each other. It wasn't even that someone intentionally put them in touch with each other. So that's that's a decent answer to the question. Mm -hmm. uh, Goodies Gumdrops wrote, Aaron, does Scientology still harass you? I mean, not overtly and not right now. Uh, they do have a website up. AaronSmithLevin.com is a hate website about me. So they're sort of cyber harassing me every single day of my life. Um, but it's one of those things where I almost don't count that because nobody really gives a shit what Scientology has to say about anybody. Um, so my, my easy answer would be not really, uh, but only because they don't, they haven't really figured out an effective way to do it right now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Margot Hagen writes, did Danny only assault Scientology girls or women's so they would go, well, I suppose so they wouldn't go to the police. There were non-Scientologists that he assaulted as well, and some of those women have also gone to the police. We've got uh, a bit of a silly one from Nosferatu. Do you think Andrew could be the next Tom Cruise for Scientology to, due to his strapping good looks? Yeah, he's just got to go in and um, fork over some cash, and he's got all these YouTube subscribers, so he can go into the Celebrity Center, you know? <laughs> Devin Lara asks, Aaron, do you think Hulk Hogan will convert since he's dating Sky now? Who's Sky? Sky Daly is uh, a second generation Scientologist who is going out with Hulk Hogan. And um, so I do not think that Hulk Hogan will convert to Scientology. Uh, Sky has succeeded in lying to Hulk Hogan and his family members that she's not no longer a Scientologist. Um, and she doesn't. Um, let me see. How do I put this? Uh, she doesn't. I don't think Sky realizes that she's not successfully um, convincing everybody. Uh, but for now, uh, Hulk is still with her, and I do not believe he will convert to Scientology. Let's just say that. I, I was reading uh, – uh, well, I won't keep saying the same book – but I was reading that uh, um, – what was Elvis Presley's daughter? Lisa Mary, Mary, Lisa Marie. Lisa Marie uh, showed Michael Jackson around the, the place and sort of to see if he'd be interested. He didn't quite take it up. He was a Jehovah's Witness. Um, and well, that's another funny story that Mike tells in his book. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to say it again because it just sounds like we're doing adverts. It sounds like he's paid us. <laughs> yeah. But um, it was a funny story. Uh, one of my little lights went out here. Um, I don't think there was ever any chance of Michael actually joining Scientology. I think Lisa Marie just wanted him to be more accepting of it. You know what I mean? And uh, by the time Mike gave... Mike Rinder gave Michael Jackson a tour of the L. Ron Hubbard Life Exhibit in Hollywood... Uh, Michael Jackson was already kind of a crazy dude. I mean, he'd already kind of losing his marbles, paranoid, you know, seeing things where nothing was there. Um, I wonder at what age Michael Jackson actually went crazy. I think he was quite young. I, I heard stuff about, I, I don't know exactly what, but in his Je Jehovah's Witness church, I mean, I, I know he was disfellowshipped quite early on. Uh, but it seems like he had a, a horrible father, really. Uh, we've got Preezy asking, and I don't know what this is, so you might be able to tell me. What about uh, Heber Gensch? Where is Heber? Who is Heber, I'm asking? So Heber Gensch was, uh, is the president of the Church of Scientology International. Uh, but, you, but you'd never know it because no one's, he hasn't been seen in public in um, 10 to 15 years. Uh, you know, people talk about Shelley Miscavige. There's a lot of other people who haven't been seen in public in an awful long time. Guillaume Lasserve, Mark Yeager, uh, Heber Gensch, 
um, are are among them. So, I mean, you know, we we help at the. Uh, I work with the Aftermath Foundation. We help people who are leaving, escaping from Scientology. Uh, we were helping a Seerg member leave, who's been a Seerg member for twenty years. And I said, "Hey, what's the latest on Heber Gench?" And he said to me, "Who's Heber Gench?" <laughs> I said, the president of the Church of Scientology. Here's what's weird, Andrew. They've never bothered just taking him off, removing him from post, saying he's retired, and putting a new president on. Like They, they make things so much harder than it needs to be. There, sometimes there's no making sense of this stuff. So Heber Gentsch, if you Google, like you look on YouTube of old videos of Scientology spokespeople speaking in public, it's usually Heber Gentsch. He was this big... Uh, he looks like a giant Phil Donahue almost. He came from a big Mormon family. He's a very loud, he's very um, a really good speaker. Power like projects very well. Phil Donahue is almost like a combination between a Phil Donahue and like an Al Sharpton or something. He was just incredibly good at dealing with the press and the public. And public Scientologists loved him. And again, um, there are some stories about Heber in Mike's book. Um, essentially, at this point, he's just kind of too old. And um, uh, what's the word? Disabled is not the word. Whatever, where uh, he, he, he's not very mobile. But they don't even bother saying that he's retired. or They just sort of pretend like he never existed. So that's the answer. We've got a similar question. This one from Melissa Napersky. Does anyone think Shelley, and that's, that's uh, David Miscavige's wife, who nobody's seen in years, uh, Shelley is really hidden away for 14 years and cops can't even get in touch with her, or is she not alive? No, I mean, saying that she's hidden away is just like saying that Heber Gentsch is hidden away. These people are hidden away because we don't see them, but we are not supposed to see them. You don't, like, Shelly's probably working at this, the, the base where Shelly is, there maybe maybe a dozen other people on that base. You'll never see those people. You'll never hear from them. Um, so, now, don't get me wrong. Uh, even if Shelly wanted to leave, it would be extremely difficult for her to leave. But I don't know. Someone might notice that former Scientologists don't, former Sea Org members don't really seem to go, oh my God, Shelly, because they understand she's working at a base where you would never see her even if she was living a fantastic life. You'd never see from her. You'd never hear from her, nor from anyone else on those bases. I understand it looks very bad to the outside world um and it may be bad i can't sit here and promise you that she's doing great i mean she she could have cancer and be dying and we would never know it but we would never know it for anyone at that base i'm kind of talking myself in circles but i, no, hope I get I'm it i get kind it. of explaining it we've got chris uh, abel or abele uh can Aaron tell the story of his dog and his neighbor <laughs> So in my episode of the Scientology and the Aftermath show, I was talking about the story of my neighbor who lives behind me uh, is a Scientologist. And when we were still in Scientology, we have this fantastic Labradoodle named Goliath, and she just loves our dog. And we share a fence so with a gate in it. So we would send the dog over to play in her yard all the time. If we were ever leaving the house, we would just put the dog in her yard. The, she's got a doggy door. The dog would run in and out of her house all the time. And so anyway, when we were you know, officially being declared suppressive people and being expelled from Scientology, she was like, okay, so let's have a conversation on how we're going to uh, address the disconnection uh, with your daughters but um, I really don't want to disconnect from Goliath. I don't think he would understand. And, um, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, the children totally understand why you would disconnect from them. 
God forbid the dog is confused about it. <laughs> oh my God. What a lunatic. Now, now at this point, the, the fence between our yards was just a chain link fence. So the dog could still see her if she was over there. And um, Scientology literally told her that having the chain link fence where she could see the dog meant that she was still connected to the dog. And so she had to put up a wooden fence in front of the chain link fence to officially disconnect from the dog. <laughs> wow. This is how far some people go, isn't it? It's really something. Um, a few people asked about Lucy Lawless, who was uh, Xenu the Warrior Princess, for those who don't know her name. I, I, I wasn't, you know, but that was a huge show around the world. She, she's a Scientologist, is she? No, no. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. People are wondering, I suppose. And there you go. She's not. People are all asking about that. Um, what's, what's this one we've got? We've got Danny P. New subscriber after the last video on this topic. Can you explain what they believe happens after death with Travolta losing his wife and son? I'm very curious. I would just add, with you know, again, Mike Rinder's book, it was this thing about it. I think one of his children died. I think it was a son. And they just felt like, okay, it doesn't really matter because his spirit will pass on to another body. Yeah, it's true. So they believe um, that they're, they don't believe in an afterlife. They believe in the afterlife in the sense that they, when your physical body dies, it's just your physical body. You and your, you as a spiritual being don't die. They don't believe in an afterlife if you define it as somewhere else other than earth that you as a spirit go to. They don't believe in a heaven or a hell. Okay, so they believe that we are, we've lived for 76 trillion years. We're spiritual beings. When this body dies, you simply cease to occupy this body and you have to go pick up a new body. You got to go shoot over to the hospital and pick up a brand new baby body. And the reason you can't remember your previous lives is because the evil psychiatrist aliens that have set up Earth as a prison planet have these little stations um, on like Mars and Venus and the moon where you're pre-programmed as a spirit to when your body dies, you shoot over to these implant stations where they wipe your thetan memory and then you're programmed to shoot down into a new body and live lifetime after lifetime. That's why Scientologists talk about like eternal um, amnesia. They're talking about the fact that every time you die, your memory gets wiped and so you can't remember your previous lives. Scientologists believe that with enough Scientology auditing, uh, you have the ability to bypass the implant stations in what they call the between lives area. That's why Scientologists are so concerned about getting as high up the bridge as possible this lifetime so that they can skip the implant station, jump right into a new baby body, and just grow up again, remembering everything that they already did in Scientology. And now you might wonder, well, why would they even bother coming back to Earth? Why don't they just go off somewhere else? I don't actually even know the answer to that question. L. Ron Hubbard simply said, you wouldn't want all of your fellow friends, um, you wouldn't want them on your conscience that you, you abandoned them. Uh, so Hubbard basically says that as a good Scientologist, you have to keep coming back to Earth until they successfully clear the planet Earth, get at least half the people on Earth up to Scientology's, up the bridge to their state of clear. So he basically says, you have to keep coming back and keep coming back to help save everybody here. It's just that Hubbard himself never came back. So as far as we know, as far as we know, uh, so that is what Scientologists believe happens when you die. We've got Paula from, uh, RI who does Scientologists pray to? I understand money, but I thought all religions have a God. They don't believe in a God and they don't pray to anybody. They literally don't believe in any, God. they believe there is no God. 
And you'll never get a Scientologist to admit that to you because they're not allowed to admit it. But um, yeah, they don't believe in a single supreme being or any supreme being for that matter. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because obviously the secret, the secrecy is important so that people are willing to put in big money so they can find out the secrets. But obviously with the internet, it's ushered, ushered in an age of everything being out there. I've heard that Scientology have had to deny a lot of the stuff that you've just said. I guess they're denying it so that when someone then, and then they'll eventually go, okay, it was true in the end once you've paid all the money. Right. I mean, Scientologists know that Scientology is lying when they publicly deny these things. Um, it, it, it's really part of sort of holding on to the tax exemption by trying to look as religious as possible. It also has to do with trying to convince other religious rights groups that they should advocate on behalf of Scientology instead of excluding them. They, 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 they try to appear as religious-y as possible to other religious groups so that those people will come and fight for them uh, when when needed in court and speak up for them on their behalf. Beth Serrano asks, do Scientologists celebrate holidays? They celebrate them, but not j just as like an excuse to have a party. So like Scientologists celebrate Christmas and Jewish Scientologists celebrate Hanukkah, but they're not celebrating Jesus. They're just celebrating giving each other presents. There's no religious connotation to this celebration. Janet, uh, Gossett, have you heard anything about Paul Haggis' trial? Who's Paul Haggis? So Paul Haggis was a Scientologist, um, two-time Oscar winner for Crash and Million Dollar Baby. He was a screenwriter. Um, and he is, uh, I think his trial might have started the last day or two. He's being accused of misconduct with women as well. Uh, Scientology is almost certainly behind the accusations, meaning digging up the dirt, getting, you know, but I stop. I I don't know Paul, and I don't know the women who are making accusations about him. And it would be pretty horrible of me to come out and be like, "These women are lying." Scientology's behind it when I don't know that that's true. How could I say that? So I, there's nothing for me to add to that conversation, like because I don't have any information about it. The Danny Masterson thing is different. Scientology was involved in silencing these victims. That I know. I don't know that Scientology has induced Paul Haggis's accusers to make up lies about him. If I said that, I would just be saying that I believe that. I don't know that. And it's just not appropriate for me to insert myself into that conversation. So um, that's why I haven't done any videos about it. And I literally know nothing about it other than what anyone else has read in the press. Got goodies, gumdrops again. What happens when David Miscavige dies? Literally nothing. <laughs> Scientology just continues on as normal. Scientology, David Miscavige is not the force that is keeping Scientology alive. That is, he, he's just not. Someone else will presumably rise up and be ambitious enough to make it to the top. Yeah, it's not necessary for Scientology to have some single charismatic leader in order for Scientology day-to-day -day business to carry on. Like, Miscavige has made it all about him because he's chosen to. It's not required and it wasn't intended. Uh, one single person was not supposed to just take over and step into LRH's shoes. And it, uh, it's not, you know... It, it, it was an entire group or a committee that was supposed to kind of take over running Scientology. Uh, it wasn't supposed to be the way it is right now. So um, Miscavige might want to think that he is what is keeping Scientology going. But as I said, Scientology has been shrinking under Miscavige's leadership. So he really hasn't been keeping 
anything going. Um, maybe the last question, Melissa Napersky. Are there judges that are Scientologists? Because that doesn't really work, does it? There are no judges that are Scientologists that I'm aware of. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? I guess it would be a biased, biased thing. Since that was a quick answer, uh, I want to go to Margot Hagen, who said, who made the e-meters and what is in it? And I wonder as well, yeah, why they do sort of move, don't they, when you're telling, but I don't know if they actually correspond to whether you're telling the truth or not and that kind of thing. Well, even a lie detector doesn't actually tell you whether you're telling the truth, right? Like these machines measure varia variations in, in a physical thing. So... Um, but the question is, who made the e-meters? You know, Volney Matheson was, I think, the first one who designed the e-meter. I actually have a breakdown on my channel of an e-meter. Like another YouTube channel, an, an electric engineer, did a breakdown of an e-meter, and I did a reaction video to that video a couple months ago. Um, so uh, L. Ron Hubbard didn't even design or invent the e-meter, which is kind of funny to think. And what's in it? So it's just a bunch of circuitry and, and a battery. Uh, the video breaks it down completely. You can see all of the insides of it. Uh, it measures the resistance to an electrical flow. That's all it measures. As far as what is causing the change in the resistance, that's where you get into you know myth versus reality. Scientologists would say that it is your mental pictures being re-stimulated through the course of auditing that is causing the resistance of the electrical flow to change during an auditing session, uh, a non-Scientologist would say otherwise. But there's a documentary where they took a, a, an instrument like the e-meter and they even like just put it into yogurt <laughs> and, uh. then put, and then put the yogurt next to a person and then asked the person questions and it was getting responses on the instrument. It wasn't an actual e-meter, I don't think. And if I recall correctly, I don't know. This was in a documentary. It was called like "I Am Me," or I don't, I don't remember. Again, Mike mentioned it in an interview, interview that he did recently. Um, and the thing is, what's in the e-meter? Okay, what's in the e-meter? Just electronics. We answered who made the e-meter. Scientologists believe that the e-meter doesn't say whether you're telling the truth or not. It says whether there's something more to address on this particular question or this particular item. It doesn't necessarily, even Scientologists don't actually think that it tells you whether you're telling the truth or not, to be fair. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, I remember those uh, things I had as like a toy when I was a kid uh, where you could put electrical things into a potato and it would go up and down. You could tell how electric or something the potato was. Also, I should say that A. Kenneth has clarified, I think the reason people were talking about uh, Xena, the warrior princess, is because of the mention of Lord Xenu, um, which I now I now understand. Erin, have you got any last thoughts? No, we've covered an awful lot. I think this has been fun. Thanks again to my lovely guest, Aaron Smith-Levin. There'll be more where that came from as the trial progresses and find out what it means for one of the world's most famous cults to be involved in such a big trial. Join me tomorrow when my guest will be Michael Shermer on why we believe in conspiracies and extreme ideologies. See you then. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com 
Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.